Well, hello everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Speaking of teaming up with experts, we want to hear from you. If you have a specific topic you'd be interested in suggesting for us here at Nine to Thrive, please email us at podcasts at hci.org. Man, I'm so excited uh, to bring in Jeffrey Spector today. I'm so delighted he was able to spend some time with us today. Jeffrey is president of Carrot a unicorn company backed by Serena Williams that helps companies like Robinhood, Pinterest, and Roblox improve their technical hiring process. He spearheaded the launch of Carrot's flagship purpose program, Brilliant Black Minds, to bring more equity to the world of tech. Prior to Carrot, Jeffrey worked as a chief of staff at the Gates Foundation In this role, he worked side-by-side with Melinda Gates to optimize the foundation's strategies with a particular focus on job candidate experiences and researching how post-secondary education can better translate into economic opportunity. I mean, it's fair to say you've done a few things, Jeffrey. (laughs) We're so glad to have you join us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, you've been busy. You've been busy. Totally. (laughs) Yeah, well, speaking of busy, so I wanted to let the listeners know, here's the uh, road we're taking today. So as I learned a little bit more about Jeffrey, I thought, you know, I want to really capitalize on his breadth and depth of knowledge and experience. So here's what we're going to talk about. First and foremost, because I'm totally an adventure person, and I spotted this when I was learning about you, that you had a little adventure through the U.S., that led to your latest endeavor. So we're going to talk about that. And then I want to pick your brain a little bit on just the future of talent acquisition and recruitment. And then lastly, and I know I said in your intro here, I really want to spend some time talking about this wonderful initiative, Brilliant Black Minds. So are you ready for this? I'm definitely ready. That sounds like a great agenda. (laughs) Good. Well, I'm glad to have you with us. So, hey, as I just mentioned, I'm using this term adventure, but you can call it whatever you might, because I read that you had an opportunity to do some traveling around the United States. and, And part of what that travel was providing for you was an opportunity to do some market research. So we're going to dive into some real important key pieces of that. But my first question as a fellow adventurer, I'd like to know if there was anything like unexpectedly fun that you got to do or like a delicious meal that you had maybe during that time or an experience that you're like, oh my gosh, that was so awesome. And I can't believe I had that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. So just to give a little context on that, um, you know, before we started Carrot, when I was at the Gates Foundation, I was already touring around the country a lot, meeting with community college students. We were visiting a lot of community colleges and just kind of understanding the plight of community college students in this country. Uh, And one of the things I realized out of that is that people were working really hard and actually getting a lot of debt to study things, but there wasn't really a clear through line to being able to get a job. There were no real feedback loops to students or to schools to really focus on like, what do we need to be teaching and what do I need to be learning? Um, then, you know, when Mo and I put my co-founder Mo and I put our heads together, we knew we wanted to kind of focus on hiring, 
um, in helping people get jobs more easily. Mo is a passionate recruiter, somebody who loves hiring. Um, and we knew that, you know, getting people the right job is, you know, after your friends and family, like where you work and what you do is like some of the most important things you're going to do in your life. And so how did we unlock access to opportunity? How do we make that a lot easier and smoother? And so we kind of went on a tour around the country, as you say, I'm, I have a bit of wanderlust, so I like to travel in general. But, you know, we met with kind of leaders and companies all across different industries. We were leading with HR leaders, with tech leadership, just trying to understand, you know, how were companies hiring and what were their biggest pain points? And we went up, we spent, because we're here in Seattle, we, we went around to like the whole Boeing supply chain and we were talking to people in healthcare in Kansas City, right? It kind of went all across the country. And what we realized through that journey is that one of the biggest gaps and opportunities was that most companies interview, but they're not really good at it, right? It's such a critical aspect in who they hire, um, but they don't do it really well. And actually this harkened back to Mo before he started Care With Me was, was at Microsoft and they were trying to hire up like 150 engineers in a really short amount of time. And what they realized is that like, you know, it was very time consuming. It wasn't very candidate friendly. It was biased against people, you know, didn't get better over time. And so we kind of had this aha that like interviewing is this thing that should not be somebody's secondary job, which is what it is at most companies. It's of critical importance. It's in the livelihoods of candidates and in the trajectories of companies. And so it should be treated like the sacred craft that it is. And so we set out to make interviewing a job and, you know, we have a, a network of uh, people call it interview engineers that interview on behalf of other companies. And we've basically made interviewing a job. So that was kind of like the context for, you know, what we were doing around the country. I'd say, you know, kind of fun, maybe if your question was kind of like, what was actually happening fun. So one was, um, I distinctly remember Mo and I, because we were touring around like a lot of factories and, you know, we had hard hats on and the heart of America. And uh, Mo and I actually took a welding class and we were like, oh, we really want to understand what this is. And I think it was very fair to say that after that class, we realized you know, we can't even hang pictures up on the wall well, let alone weld. So it was like, that is not going to be the industry we're going into, but we had a deep appreciation for the people who are doing that. Um, so it was kind of a fun example, but, but I'd say the story that most stuck with me from that trip is that we actually went to Howard University um, and alongside a woman named Portia Kibble-Smith, who's our head of diversity partnerships here at Carrot. And we met with a number of students and because our goal is once we locked on interviewing was going to be the thing that we focused on, we wanted to make sure that we were building the most inclusive interview solution in the market. And so we were trying to meet with a lot of underrepresented talent as well to understand what their experiences were. And I'll never forget, we went to one group of students. We had a focus group at Howard University. And, and one of the students there told us that, you know, 80% of Silicon Valley hires for people who they know, and we're not the people that they know, right? And just, we were talking through the struggles of not having the networks to break into these companies and not having the visibility into what they're doing. And so that really lit a fire in us that we wanted to go out and build the most inclusive solution out there. And so that was like one story that kind of, I always will remember that conversation and the person who told us that. So do you, and thank you for appeasing my, as you say, <laughs> wanderlust curiosity. Clearly that is not the priority of our conversation, but I'm always right. fascinated. I love by that, that podcast. People think, yeah. I love when people get to, uh, get to see things and experiencing. So thank you for sharing about the welding experience. But what I was going to ask though, back to the real topic here is, had you known before you started this, I'm calling it an adventure moving throughout the US, had you already recognized that the interviewing, um, the gamut right around interviewing, like had you already known that there were challenges before you set forth 
Oh yeah. I mean, and by the way, we had 10 different business ideas, right? Like we kind of had a lot in and around this space. And so we, we were coming up with them, but we had a filter, which was like, what is the one that we think could be the most commercially successful, but also would have the biggest impact in the world. Right. And, and those were the two lenses through which we started the company. And so we do a lot of research. We were literally like pouring through BLS data and reading, you know, research reports and S1s and 10Ks and all sorts of things to really understand a lot of this industry. But also it was our lived experience of having been interviewed. You know, interviewing is a thing that's very relatable. Almost everybody in the world, unless you're maybe like an athlete or something, which case you've gone through other, other like screening mechanisms. Um, but interviewing is this thing that is very universal. Um, and so it's a problem I think that people can really relate to and they understand that there's a lot of room for improvement. And so we had kind of an intuition of like, you know, interviewing could be either a barrier to opportunity or it could be a bridge to opportunity. And we really felt like if we did this right, we could change the way that people hire and therefore who's like building all the products and who's building the companies out there to make sure it's built by all of us for all of us. I love that you say a barrier or a bridge and clearly you're thinking, how do we, as you, again, I'm calling it an adventure, but as you move through it and using those two critical points that you had mentioned, how will we discern where we land? Um, obviously that's what bubbled up is to say, we need to build bridges for these opportunities. Yeah. And I mean, if you think of the interview is such a critical moment in time, right? It is like, if you get a job or you don't get a job, it could have a huge impact on the trajectory of your entire life, right? And those opportunities. And so, you know, to have that done by somebody who potentially is like not focused on that interview all day, they're racing into the room with like, you know, back when we used to do it in person, like with a resume that they're looking at for the, you know, at the last degree, and they haven't thought about the competencies that are required for the job. You know, it's just, then all the biases creep in, it's not structures, all the things that you would think about, um, you know, then you're just basically eliminating opportunity for somebody that would otherwise be qualified. So how did, you know, your data, if you will, that you brought back, and again, going a lot, you said both you and Mo had, you know, poured over research even prior to, and I'm sure during this adventure, but how did that then lead? What were the steps back to building out Carrot? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things. One was like the move to software engineering. You know, I think we recognize in talking to all these companies and through all the research was that every company was becoming a software company. I mean, this is pre-pandemic, right, obviously, but it was very apparent even when we were, you know, on the factory floor that software was a large and growing piece of their strategy, right? And every company was turning into that. And then you also looked at the data to say, wow, like getting a software engineering job is just life-changing. The amount of earnings that someone can have, you know, we're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which can change not just that person's livelihood, but also like their entire community. And so, you know, a lot of that led to both interviewing in those conversations, but also, you know, tech is the greatest wealth generation machine of our lifetimes. And so how do we, you know, that was the kind of intervention point that we thought like, wow, let's start there because the demand is so great and the impact is so large. The greatest, what was that statement? It Tech is the greatest wealth of our era. Is that what you the said? The greatest wealth creation, creation engine of our time. Oh my gosh. Um, and so therefore it's really, really important that like who is involved yes. in the creation of that engine, you know, is, and that is everybody done very has well. opportunity. Totally. Right. Making sure that all communities have the opportunity. All groups of yes. people have the opportunity. Exactly. Which is, I mean, obviously why. Steam, I think, is now 
what it's called, not yep. STEM. I think it used to be called STEM. And I mean, obviously there's forethought, obviously to go all the way back to let's start making sure we're thinking about uh, kids being interested that maybe wouldn't have the resources otherwise. I mean, obviously we're using educational opportunities to bring that even into the fold early, early on. So it's obviously a really important initiative just in general. Yeah. I mean, and, and obviously like starting at the cradle would be the best thing, right. And making sure there's no kind of drop off in the pipeline throughout there. But even as you go into like high school, it's never too late to kind of make a difference there. If you look at the state that's doing the best at that is at least in, um, they produce the largest number of black female software engineers in the country is Maryland. Um, and what they've done is they've basically made uh, computer science classes available to like 99% of high school students. They, you know, they kind of mandated that it was going to be available to everybody. And they have a requirement that you have to take, I think it's like a technology credit before you graduate. And so just purely by exposing people earlier, right, in their high school career, it just opens their eyes to like, hey, there's all these opportunities out there. And so carrot is one, one part of the solution. There's obviously like, you know, we have to make all of this pipeline and everything a lot better so that we don't, you know, lose other uh, people in it that would otherwise be qualified and, you know, very successful. And lose their place, right? Like yeah. they, yeah, that opportunity becomes lost. And so, like you said, this is just one piece of the wheel um, that has to all run together in order for people in all communities and all groups to have the opportunities that you're providing. And so tell me a little bit about how is that interviewing changing the face of this then? I know you had mentioned that that is their job, which you were mentioning sometimes in organizations. And I totally get that because I've been there. We're doing it at the last minute. Yeah. I mean, I think we think about, you know, we kind of joke that DEI is in our DNA because like we really did from the very onset, try to build like the most inclusive solution. So what does that look like? You know, I think DEI is, is one of those things that there is no silver bullet. It's, you know, you have to do a thousand things correctly and that's daunting but it also means that you can get started with one of them tomorrow and it has impact. Right. And so like we literally like every aspect of what we do, we try and make sure it's not biased and inclusive. So for example, we allow people to interview 24 seven, right? So people can interview on their own time. So we see about 50% of our interviews happen on nights and weekends. And we find that people of color, women of color interview at 20% higher rates outside of typical nine to five hours. Right. So if you want to build a more inclusive system, you know, want to put it at the time frame where people are going to be successful and accommodate. Um, we offer a redo interview. So we offer every candidate an ability to retake their interview if they feel like their first interview did not go as well as they could have done. And what we found is that it disproportionately helps underrepresented talent who are less familiar with the interviewing process. So for example, we see black engineers take us up on the redo at 30% higher rates than their peers. And we just currently crossed the thousand higher mark of people who are through the redo. So people that didn't do well in their first interview came back, took it again and did really well because, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you may not do well on an interview. And that doesn't mean that you're not great for the job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just stepping back, you know, like our interview engineers don't look at resumes before they head into an interview because they're mostly focused on technical skills. And it's like, I don't need to know where you went to school. I don't need that bias to creep into the process if that's not going to be relevant to the interview format I'm conducting right now. So again, it's just like, there's a lot of little things that all add up to, you know, a pretty big change. And we're really proud. We saw like a, a 60% increase in the amount of underrepresented and female hires at our clients year over year last year. Wow. That's amazing. 
I love everything that you all are doing. And the word that kept coming to mind as you were talking through it is the word intentionality. You're being very intentional about choices you're making. But I was going to share with you, I just had this conversation last week. We have a strategic talent acquisition course here at HCI. And we were just talking about the corporate client I was working with. They are just talking about doing some blinded resumes. I think I have that language right. Um, I'm here in the fair state of Ohio, right? And so, you know, I shared with them, I said, you know, in Ohio, when somebody reads, if they are a the Ohio State University fan, right? Right, right? To your point, that's what I was saying to them. It's not necessarily conscious, but I get it. If you're an alumni, there's that automatic connection. And again, not necessarily conscious, but it happens. So, I loved your intentionality about that is that's not what we're pouring over. We want to hear from them and hear their skills and not be biased accidentally, not be biased by where they went or anything like that. So totally. And you're hitting on something really important. I mean, two of my brothers went to University of Michigan, so I, they probably would not what? do well in that interview. Nope. Um, <laughs> um, they probably would not do well in that interview and so it would work against them. But, um, but you know, I think you're hitting on something, which is interviews, you need to be really thoughtful about what competencies you're interviewing for. Problem solving is something. Okay, well, how do you define problem solving? What does good look like? What does not good look like, right? Otherwise, you do creep into this, well, you know, I really had an affinity for this person, even though they didn't have the skills that we have. And so you end up kind of, there's either a likability bias, maybe there's a pedigree bias, all these things can creep in. And so, you know, we always encourage, it takes a little bit more time up front, but actually it makes the decision-making process a lot faster because you can kind of literally compare, okay, let's just like, how do they do on this rubric? Now are we gonna make a hire? They're clearly better than another candidate. Let's move forward with them. That's amazing. And it's funny that you're saying this because a woman in the class, which I really appreciated that she did this, she had a little bit of an affinity, a bias towards a person, or I guess that would be maybe a halo or just like me type bias, but she said she realized it. And so after the interview, there was an interview panel and she's like, hold me accountable. I like this person. We get along really well. But as an interview team, I need you guys to hold me accountable that I'm not just making decisions based on because we get along so well. I was like, wow, I really appreciate that when people recognize their own biases, you know? Yeah. And that's great. I love hearing that. And it's also like having to write things down of like, why did you say they were a good problem solver? Like, what were the actual evidence behind it? Right. You know, we've only been really talking about it from the candidate side, but interviewing is also a very stressful thing from the interviewer side, because a lot of times, you know, you have 30 minutes and it's like you're halfway through the interview and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm getting the signal that I need to get out of this thing. You know, I, I have to make a decision very quickly. And so it helps on that side, too. Like the more I think you said it intentional you are about what you're trying to do in that interview, you can both explain it to the candidate. This is what I'm you know, trying to learn about you in this time. And we can be efficient in our time together you know, that intentionality also shows you that we're a very thoughtful company. And so it works both to like help you with the assessment and also to show the candidate, like you do things the right way and you care about inclusivity and all these other things. Yep. And the integrity of the process. So I want to, because we're diving into this. So I do want to talk to you about this initiative that you have. I mean, obviously we've been chatting probably a good 15 minutes about interviewing, and I know that's really your wheelhouse, but you know, you mentioned, obviously, the impact that your work has in that topic, but especially for engineers, but even more specifically, you know, talking about gathering the data and seeing that existing gap for minority engineers 
um, and kind of born was this brilliant Black Minds. Can you tell us a little bit about what that initiative or program, I don't know what language you're using for it, but yeah. what that's doing and what you're seeing with that initiative? Sure. So as I mentioned, you know, we had this in the early days, we went to Howard and the student kind of really still resonates with me in my head as to like, how do we build this inclusive hiring system? Um, we then went out and studied all these best practices after that to eliminate bias, which is like, how do we make interviews more structured, work sample relevant, like transparent? How do we have like our interviewer slates that they're representative, kind of all the things you would do to eliminate bias. One of the things we realized in looking at our data and also just, or we recognize, I should say, is that even if we eliminate all the bias, it's, there's still systemic issues that are preventing people from even getting to the interview, Right. And so how do we blow those up? It was kind of our next question. We could see in our data, you know, we've done about 200,000 interviews. We could see that only 5% of the candidates that were coming through were black, which is by far the least represented group in tech. And, you know, we kind of dug in and black engineers were facing systemic obstacles. They were, you know, they do have fewer networks into tech because they get fewer opportunities. They also are less familiar with the interviewing process, right? And so they don't have an ability to practice. And, you know, you can kind of even see, like in our data, we can see, for example, that candidates that receive a referral for any given level of interview performance on Carrot are twice as likely to be hired than people who are through other channels. But Black candidates were 35% less likely to receive a referral, right? So these networks are working kind of against Black engineers because they don't have it. So we were kind of like, hey, let's launch a program, Brilliant Black Minds, where we can offer free interview practice to all Black engineers. Um, we would give them an ability to interview as much as they want, also give feedback in the interview and afterwards. There'd be a series of workshops that people can take um, about the technical interview, but also what's a recruiting process like? You know, can I negotiate my salary? What's it like to be the only black engineer on a team when I join? Just kind of any of the questions that the community really want to know about. Um, we have a Discord community that supports people. There are office hours. There's kind of a, it's a it is a program that is supporting people to overcome some of these systemic barriers. And so we launched it about 18 months ago. We've had about 2,000 people sign up, which is roughly about 2% of the Black engineers in the country. About six months ago, Serena Williams invested in this program to actually, because we started with HBCU students, she actually allowed us to expand it to all Black engineers in the country. And then about a month ago, we actually added on what we call Partners of Brilliance, where like the first kind of year, year and a half, it was just about interview practice. There was no, we tried to keep it as low pressure as possible. So there was no um, no consequences for any interview, but as the participants were doing better and better, they were kind of asking us like, can you connect us to your clients who are hiring? We want to get those jobs. And so we now have the first five, what we call partners of brilliance who have committed to supporting and hiring black engineers out of yes. this program. Oh my gosh. What an awesome journey. You must just be, I mean, from where this, your, your humble beginnings, right? No, from, from where this started to where you are right now. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the most powerful thing is obviously when they get jobs, right? And people are so excited and they kind of come back. And our data is showing that if Black engineers do three practice interviews, they're six times more likely to get a job or an internship and they feel twice as confident in their ability to interview. So we know, like we can hear it through the data because we've surveyed and things, but also through the anecdotes, you know, there's nothing more rewarding. Like someone just posted on LinkedIn, I think like last week about how excited they were to go through the program and that they actually thought it was like a critical component for them getting their dream job. And like, that is really rewarding. I, yeah, I'm almost speechless. I, I'm like amazed. I love that. You know, you're this, here's what keeps going through my mind. You're changing lives 
I mean, to your point, I know this is just one piece of the puzzle, but I understand the communities that some of these folks who are participating in Brilliant Black Minds, I understand the communities they might be coming from. They might be the very first person in their family to move into this path and it's changing lives, changing like big changes to people's lives. Yeah, to your point, there should be no advantage for someone because you have a cousin who works at a company than if you don't, right? And I think to your point, like there are so many people out there who are, are so passionate, hardworking, everything, and they just don't have the access that other people have. Um, and so if we can help to just eliminate that barrier and you know, make a more direct connection, then that is a great definition of success. I mean, it's probably been a little bit cool to meet Serena Williams, I'm going to guess. Yeah, you know, it's not where we drew it up when we started the company, but I will say it was definitely one of the highlights along the way. I mean, she's so amazing. I will say one little small anecdote. When we met her in person, our goal of the Brilliant Black Minds program is to double the number of Black engineers in tech in the next decade. And so she, you know, and obviously the mission of what we're doing at Carrot and at, through Brilliant Black Minds really resonated with her. Um, and so we met her and the first question she asked us is like, why is it only double? Why, why isn't it triple? <gasps> right? And we're like, oh, this is why you're the GOAT. This is why you're the greatest. You know? Yeah, that's what champions say. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I know you've had such a neat life and have probably gotten to meet some really amazing people. But gosh, what a big value add to be able to work with Serena at your organization and to head this uh, brilliant Black Minds program. That's so awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing a little bit more with us about that. So I want to just, as we round out, as we head out of the podcast here, I know you've got, obviously, we've just talked a lot about this process and interviewing is just a little piece of the recruiting process, but just language that kind of comes to mind for me, one of that being inclusive job description, um, candidate experience, employer brand, reskilling, right? These have all been terms that whether I've used or I've heard, like especially over the last year or so. And I usually echo when I talk about those things, I'll usually say, I think they've always been things that we've needed or that we've needed to have exist or maybe have partially existed. But now I think the demand from consumers and candidates is even greater. So what would you say with more than decade of experience that you have, where do we shake out from this? Like, where are we going from here? What goes, what stays as we think about this paradigm shift in that recruiting or talent acquisition space? Yeah, you're exactly right. I think there's kind of a, a different awareness of employees that, or a different prioritization of what they care about now than potentially what it was in the past. And companies are having to meet the moment, right? I think employees now care about things like purpose. I mean, even though there's macroeconomic headwinds, I'd say employees have more power now than they have had in the past, right? And I think the last couple of years have shown that and have been a little bit of a pressure cooker for companies to innovate. Um, but people have more choice and agency than I think they've had. The, the ability to literally like quit your job and start another one and never move from your home office, like literally you're just logging on the next day and you're like into a different Slack system or whatever it is, means that like the restrictions of, I can only go to work for someone who's in my town and you know other things have been eliminated and so then there's more opportunity for people and you know i think they are prioritizing things i mean if i think back to even carrot right so our all hands whenever we have the all hands we introduce new employees and we ask them two things one is can you say you know why carrot like why did you choose carrot the second thing is like something about yourself that nobody else knows that's work appropriate <laughs> um and it's kind of a fun thing there but i would say 95 percent of the people talk about our mission and our purpose as the why. 
right? Like that is why they're there. People really care about that. And I think that's why they stay. It's why they're motivated to work. Um, and it's my favorite part of the week um, just because it's that kind of hit of dopamine of like, yeah, it reminds you again, like through someone else's lenses, like why are we doing this work? Um, so I think one is, you know, purpose-driven organizations. It's going to be almost table stakes, I think, going forward um, that, you know, people will just choose to work at those types of organizations. I think a second thing is that we are in a more candidate-centric market. And again, I think we have to step back. There's a moment right now, which is more challenging, but I think in the long run, we definitely are moving to where candidates have more power. And therefore, you know, like things like work from home, I think you're seeing a little bit of a retraction from like financial services organizations or kind of the more, uh, I'd say, legacy type companies. But I think that's not going away. Like I think flexibility, the ability to, you know, innovate on things like the redo interview, like these things that are very candidate or employee friendly are going to stay, even if we kind of the pendulum switches back a little bit in the direction away from where it was. Um, we talk about a lot at Carrot that like people are choosing to work at Carrot every day, right? Like it's kind of like if you own a, a stock, like you don't really think about it this way, but every day you're not selling, you're buying. Like you literally could be selling that share every day and people that will come to work, like we have to show up and build trust each and every day. I think companies need to kind of live up to that mandate. Are you seeing more of that? Like, do you see, I mean, obviously you have clients that you probably would be, you know, uh, engulfing all of these things, but are you seeing that when you think about organizations that you've worked with? Oh yeah. I mean, we have, you know, let's take a client of ours like Flatiron Health, which is part of Roche. I mean, they are, you know, you may not have heard of them, although they are an amazing organization um, and, you know, they're not as big as an Amazon or something, but the reason why they get incredible talent is because they're very, very purpose-driven, right? And they're doing work that really matters and people value that over a lot of different things. And they're also, you know, I think kind of like interviewing is indicative of how you run the company. So is uh, your purpose and your mission, right? Like when you have that, it's like, we're doing some good things. Then the way they treat employees, the way they like figure out promotion cycles, compensation, I know like their CTO cat is so motivated to build like the most representative workforce and to ensure equitable opportunity. And so it kind of runs through once you are a mission driven organization affects like it's like causation versus correlation, um, you know, that question, but I think they're very correlated. Um, and, you know, we can see in our data, like the companies that care the most about DEI, right? We did a survey of, I think like 500 engineering and TA leaders. And what we found is that the companies that cared the most and invested the most into building an inclusive workforce were also the ones that felt like they were the most successful. They had built the engineering teams they were the happiest with. They had hit their hiring goals and they were hitting like product deliverables, right? So like people think about these things as like potentially trade-offs when actually they're complementary and compounding. That's right. Yeah. And it's wonderful too, that they're working with an organization like Carrot, right? If you are growing and nurturing and building that environment internal to Carrot, I think clients and customers feel that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, your clients and customers probably sense what you give to your employees and sharing that mission and sharing that purpose and they're choosing to be there. I mean, your clients and customers have to feel that. You know what I mean? Like I think that, totally. yeah. And so then that just transcends. Yeah. And, you know, we call ourselves kind of an organization of truth tellers, right? Because like assessment and interviewing is you're kind of, you know, we want people to be able to do their best, but we also are, here's exactly like where they're strong, right? And where they may not be. And so we say that to organizations too, right? Like we are trying to make sure that they are building the most efficient hiring processes, the most inclusive, they're getting the highest quality engineers. And a lot of that, sometimes you have to like have hard discussions, you know, honest discussions and 
So, you know, it's not always easy to have those, but if you actually are holding yourselves to a higher standard of like, what are you trying to achieve here? Then you are willing to kind of fight through that. And I think, yes, your clients can pick up on that. And I think they deeply appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. A hundred percent. Just it all kind of, to me, goes back to, it's kind of, I feel like it's probably always not necessarily, I'm not just talking about carrot. I'm just saying it's probably always existed that we've needed this or that it's been out there, but now more than ever, customers, clients, consumers, we demand it now, that purpose and that value and the, and that we're building an equitable workplace. And, you know, all of those pieces I think are just more in demand now more than ever. And that's great, right? We're able to change the footprint going forward. Yeah. And it's kind of exciting. I think back to my career, like when I, I got really excited about like where purpose and profit intersected, and that's kind of how I ended up at the Gates Foundation a long time ago. And at the time it felt like a novel concept, right? That I read this book called The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid. And I was like, oh my God, this is like what I want to do. And now what is really exciting to me is I feel like this is no longer like a niche thing. I think that it is in the mainstream and really to your point, like I think people are choosing the companies that reflect their values. That's amazing. Oh, I'm so delighted that we've had this conversation. It's so important for, like I said, we teach a class on strategic talent acquisition, and these are the conversations that we're having. So this just really supports those conversations even further and gives folks an idea of what's going on out there. So we really appreciate you being on with us today. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. All right, nine to thrive listeners, please shoot us an email at podcast at hci.org if you have any suggestions for topics, as I said at the top there. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For nine to thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, We appreciate you for tuning in. Thanks everyone. Make it a great day.